tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Past Lives, Murder and Extortion, 48-Hour Fraud, and Mystery Clerk. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast where Crystal and I keep in touch and share amusing stories in the age of COVID-19. That's, yes, that's right. I, I have to say, um, how I'm being entertained these days is... Well... But it's the simple things, Robbie, really. You alluded to this before the podcast, <laughs> and this underselling it is really actually making me more intrigued. Tell, uh, tell well, me. no, I mean, just a, a slightly funny funny thing happened when I was walking the dog this afternoon with my uh, significant other, David, and um, we were coming around a corner with the dog. And we didn't see we didn't see anyone immediately. It was kind of pr- like a house that had a lot of shade trees in front of it. And uh, we can uh-huh. come around the corner with the dog, and we hear this voice that goes, "Oh, that's a feisty dog you got there." And then it startled it okay. startled both of us because we didn't realize there was like a man standing in his driveway. We didn't see him. Yeah. And uh, and and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, he's pretty pretty feisty." And the man's like, "Ah, oh, my uh, grandparents used to have a dog like that." And it was like uh, really weirdly menacing. <laughs> <laughs> okay and, and what, uh, that's... what dave compared it to was like in the beginning of a horror movie that's like the first sign you get to wherever wherever the young people are going whether it's the haunted house or the cabin in the woods or whatever uh, you run into the old the mm-hmm. old timer it's like oh well you're headed up to the old uh wilson place aren't you and like <laughs> it was very much that and um so so we got Stephen King on our walk with the dog. We've been spooked ever since we got Damn. home. Yeah. So if you had an encounter like this, mm-hmm. but your destination wasn't just returning home from walking the mm-hmm. dog, but you were going somewhere like, you know, uh, a cabin by the lake or something. Mm-hmm. Would you say that the experience you had was sufficient enough to inspire you to maybe alter your vacation plans? No, because that's it was sort of so mon- such an a mundane encounter that if I if I was in a horror movie and I didn't know about the existence of other horror movies, I wouldn't have thought anything about it. Understood. But Understood. in this universe where I've seen those movies, <laughs> Yes, you you have reason to be right. concerned. I guess I guess maybe maybe this guy that you encountered, maybe everyone's just kind of starting to go stir crazy from Corona. Uh huh. <laughs> maybe maybe he hasn't like interacted with people for a while, and he was legitimately just like, you know, like saw saw a neat looking dog that reminded him of uh, something from his childhood. And, and since it's been two months since he's yeah. talked to another human being, 
he just came out really weird. Yeah, it, I, I think that's probably exactly what happened, honestly. But I was, uh, was also thinking about, like, uh, how how hanging out with people is weird. Like, obviously, we've been social yeah. distancing and stuff. But, like, a couple of weeks ago, we had one friend come over to, like, hang out in the backyard a responsible distance away. And and then uh, then a couple of days ago, we had, you know, a, a, a different set of friends that had been, you know, quarantining as well come over. And, again, everybody was just hanging with their face masks on in the backyard. So... Um, but it was like really weird be- because it was like a medicine that, you know, you have to take, but, but also like you've gone this long without <laughs> hanging out with people on a regular basis that it feels like really odd. It does. I attended, um, because of you know, the, the people who, whose lot I, am occupying next to their actual house. Mm-hmm. Uh, their son uh, had a birthday over the weekend, mm-hmm. officially became a teenager. Oh, wow. And I came over and it just was like, I hadn't even been going over to their house mm-hmm. because I've been obeying the social distancing so much. Right. And it just felt weird. Like I kept like, cause I, I initially came over with a mask Mm -hmm. and they're like, you don't have to wear a mask, but I felt weird taking it off. So I just, I pulled it down. So it just dangled around my neck, uh, uh, sort of, you know, allowing me to breathe, breathe easily, but also as a sort of shameful token reminded me, uh, that I was doing something wrong. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, knowing what the I mean, obviously, in public, when you're out doing commerce or going to work or whatever, if you if you're still doing that, like mask, and I even go as far as wearing gloves, you know, and that's so I don't get my germs all over everybody else's stuff, pretty much, you know, Um, but, uh, you know, at home. And also when you when you're having, you know, our two friends, uh, were well our friends that came over um this this last weekend one of them worked from home anyway before all of this and the other one has been mm-hmm. uh is on hiatus from from her job so i know other than the grocery store like they have not been out and i was like well but do i don't know it gets really weird it's it's just weird it's like yeah there's no one to like give you the hand. It's I guess it's just like what you feel comfortable with in your own home within reason. Like we're not going to have a bunch of people over and we're not going to be in the house, but it's also like, huh, just feels strange. You know, it's funny with my new job and all the money that that's been pouring into my wallet because of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, you know, like at the end of, um, as I approach the end of the pay period, I still have like, hundreds of dollars stuffed into my wallet instead of searching around for like change throughout my household to pump into my car for the last, to, so I can make it until the next payday. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes I've got, I've, I've got gone up, gone online and it was like, I wonder how much airline tickets to like Los Angeles are costing. And like, I'm like, Hey, I have this brief fantasy of coming down and visiting, but then I was like, oh no, wait, I can't because we're, right. <laughs> we're, we're social distancing. Well, it's not even that. It's know. like, would you want to get on a plane right now <laughs> with with all those people and a metal tube with recycled yeah. air and all the touch points in an airport? And 
I'm, I mean, it's going to be really, really, really. But that's the, that's the irony of this. It's like having the time and having the money, but not being able to go anywhere. <laughs> or do anything. Right? It's just really strange. Yes. Like at, uh, by the end of next month, I'm going to have four weeks of vacation. Paid vacation from my job. <laughs> what am I going to do with wow. it? Yeah, like, Okay. I mean, that's a, yeah, obviously that's a quality problem to have. That's, I'm not complaining. It's just, it it's is. like, oh, well, that's nice to have and I can't use it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, should we talk about, uh, this very fine episode of Unsolved Mysteries? Yes. We are on season four, episode Eight? Yes, that sounds right. Excellent. Okay, our first segment involves a woman named Sharon Johnson. And Crystal, I'm sure you've been there. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah. Everyone who's listening has been uh-huh. there. You go into a hi- <laughs> hypnotist. Boy, howdy. To... <laughs> To, to, to help you lose 30 pounds yeah. or to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And you end up thinking that you're the reincarnation of a sailor from the Pearl Harbor. Attack. Yeah. I mean, it's an extremely relatable situation. Yes. This is apparently what Sarah Johnson encountered. She visited a hypnotist named Frank Baranowski. Mm-hmm. And if I recall correctly, he d- the the weight loss portion did actually work, yes. right? She did lose thirty pounds or something. Yes. But then she, she, but she's also walking around thinking that she was in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do does that seem like is uh if you could like get a hypnotist to do something like, I mean, you don't smoke and I don't smoke, but you know, mm-hmm. s- s- some sort of thing that you could like relatively minor thing you could fix in your life. But in exchange, you're going to walk around thinking that you were a World War II combatant. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like a, a good trade-off? I, a fair trade-off? Listen, if I lose 30 pounds in the process, yeah, I'm doing it. That's I'll, That's fine. I think, <laughs> I think I would also readily make that uh, exchange. <laughs> that's totally, that's totally okay. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we haven't even gotten into this, and already this whole thing falls apart because this this is the first time because hypnosis and hypnotists have come up a lot in unsolved mysteries, and yeah. this is the first time I remember a segment sort of acknowledging that hypnosis is a suggestive state. Mm-hmm. Um. It's in my mind, though, and I think the science may back this up, that it is it is a suggestive state. It is not a state where where you can be suggested something, but also uncover memories or what it, What do they call what do I, they call this phenomenon? Su- suppressed memories yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, it's one or the other. It can't be both. <laughs> are you su- Crystal? Are you suggesting that Mr. Barrows- Barrowski planted suggestions in Sharon's mind? <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, 
Yes. I, I, I like I like that idea that the hypnotist is the, the one here who's trying to push this. Because, I mean, it was interesting because she was not on camera. No. I mean, she, her, she was blacked out. And they used a different name. So I was try- like, I spent the time trying to figure out, like, what... What is this to her? If I mean, if, if, to 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 be making this claim because there's, um, it's not like she's getting her face and name out there. Mm-hmm. Does she actually believe this? Uh, and perhaps perhaps she's the victim in this. Like, oh uh, yeah, you know, definitely. Frank Frank is Frank. Yeah, Frank has been planning stuff in her head. Um, and as the the, the segment goes through a series of you know they contacting world war ii veterans that were at pearl harbor getting confirmation because sharon was led to believe that she was a man named john gillespie 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 Gillespie? i don't know gillespie i don't know at any point prior to this moment, you could have pronounced that last name perfectly, but I have I just... I think... I feel like Gillespie. Well, Gillespie is the correct way to Gillespie, say that name. yeah. We'll call him John. <laughs> okay. Uh, who it was... grew You know, uh, grew up on a farm in Omaha. You know, typical guy growing up on a farm in Omaha and then ending up in World War II sort of situation. Uh, he was present at, and, and we have this reenactment of her sort of remembering her memories mm-hmm. as, as being this guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we, so we get sort of a mixture of World War II archival footage, but also uh, a reenactment that takes place on some sort of U.S. Navy ship mm-hmm. with, with people in, uh, you know, uniform, period uniforms, and uh, a, a prodigious use of a smoke machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I mean, the the, re- the reenactment was fun just because it was like you know watching it. You're like, oh, okay, they got like five guys, and they're just like they're keeping the camera really focused up close on on, on them. Uh, and someone is blo- waving that smoke machine, you know, blower everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some PA to the side that's just having the time of their life with that smoke machine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so she, she has memories of like seeing this ensign Tossick who was injured in the leg. uh, And a lot of the sort of footwork investigating in the segment is finding out stuff like, you know, this ensign Tossick. He was at Pearl Harbor, but he wasn't a member of the crew of the ship. Mm-hmm. But a plausible explanation is, you know, he, he was on the ship just that morning for because, you know, the, he's the, he's there for whatever uh, reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to track down Gillespie, but unfortunately, like there's there's ta- we have like like a count of various points in time where records have gotten burned up, but they were, they're still somehow able to figure out that he was an actual world war two, uh, combatant who had been there. Um, I'm assuming that doc, uh, the hypnotist must've just researched <laughs> all this in advance for his, his great prank that he decided he was going to pull on his customer who just wanted to lose some weight. Uh, but 
you know, but, but the probably the most interesting thing for of all of this for me is that the sailor that Sharon remembers being, he was on the Nev- Battleship Nevada. Ding, 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 ding. Wait, are we excited about that because you live in Nevada? I I, I think so, okay. right? Sorry, I, mean, I don't know why, why we were excited about that. Oh, okay. Um, so it was the ne- Nevada um, and Arizona that got attacked, right? Is that right? Well, a lot of other ships okay. got attacked in, in Pearl Harbor. Though, I mean, the I think from my recollection, the Arizona did account for like half of all the casualties at Pearl Harbor because of like its magazine, its ammunition magazine exploded, and that like that killed a thousand, uh, like. Fi- over 1500 people if i recall um yeah uh i mean other ships got hit too and and damaged in various uh points the nevada was sort of an interesting situation um uh i mean and it got hit several times as well throughout uh the course of the attack but uh it didn't end up sinking in fact because what what happened was it was actually um, uh, most of the other battleships were all sort of tied up to each other, but the Nevada wasn't. And so, and then prior to the attack, they were doing a thing where they're starting the engines for, I don't know, whatever mechanical reason you'd want to like occasionally start an engine. Uh, your, the, your battery doesn't die. Uh, while it's parked in the driveway. That's yeah, yeah, the, the 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 battleship equivalent of that. And so they like they were starting it on one side and getting ready to like stop, but then they already started the other one on the other side in preparation for doing it. So when the attack started, the the Nevada was actually in a unique situation where it could actually start moving, and so they actually tried tried to get it. I apparently tried to get it out of the uh, uh, harbor during the attack, Mm -hmm. but in doing so, they attracted the attention of the Japanese uh, bombers who uh, proceeded to attack it. So they sustained enough damage that they figured it would probably be better to run aground uh, rather than risk sinking. Uh, So they ran it aground. Uh, in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, they they did some repairs on the Nevada. Then they it, they took it to the east coast of the United States, where they refitted it and modernized it. And then it participated in uh, protecting convoys uh, in the Atlantic uh, until the D-Day landings, which was part of that. And then landings on the southern coast of France later. It was at Iwo Jima. Um, you know, uh, throughout the Pacific campaign, it, it spent some time in Tokyo Harbor as a, uh, as part of the occupation. And then after afterwards, the Nevada was sufficiently old enough that they, uh, they weren't going to use it anymore. So they decided that they were going to uh, use it as one of the ships when they did the bikini atomic testing. Mm-hmm. And the original plan was it was actually going to be the one that they dropped it, the, the atomic bomb, right onto. But 
uh, in this, uh, for somehow that I guess they dropped it on the the wrong target or whatever, because the Nevada survived two atomic bomb tests, uh, and then so by that point they they figured well well like they they took it out somewhere and we're gonna like have a bunch of other ships use it for target practice until it sank. But apparently, like, even after they'd fired however many shells into it, it still, it was still afloat. So they finally just fired some torpedoes into it to sink it. And then, uh, and then it was on the floor of the ocean until a few weeks, uh, a week or two ago, they, they discovered, someone discovered it. The wreckage. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, Uh what, what a way to retire, you know? Right. Really? I, I mean, like the, the uh, you know, the Nevada seemed to be, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, someone who through a combination of toughness, but also sheer luck manages to just like make it through one scrape after another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they, they dropped two atomic bombs on it, Crystal. I mean, that's still afloat. That's how I want to, that's how I want to go out. Yeah, um, same just here. glowing like the surface of the sun. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, back to Sharon Johnson. You know, what's interesting is that this whole thing with the Pearl Harbor deal or her memories of a past life, because Sharon was born, I don't know, 10 years after, 10, 12 years after uh, yeah. Pearl Harbor occurred. Um was she had this she goes on this trip to Hawaii. She's on Oahu and there's the right there's the Pearl Harbor Pearl Harbor monument and I believe it's it's either built over the wreckage of the Arizona or it's part of the Arizona anyway, but she had this feeling Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. that she had been there before. Uh which is when all that when all this like recovered memory stuff started. But you know what's really interesting is who she was in Hawaii with. <laughs> Oh, maybe I missed that part. Who was she in Hawaii You with? see, she was on a trip with her hypnotist <laughs> and his friends, uh, as you do, um, mm-hmm. to Hawaii. Uh, I know. I know my hypnotist joins my family on every outing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, I go with my uh, therapist on her, her vacations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that I don't know. The Unsolved Mysteries kind of like glazes over it, but I think it's actually a really important detail as to how some information may have gotten manipulated <laughs> here with Sharon. Yes. And uh, then, then we're going through the segment, and then there's like this woman who's identified only as author. I don't know that she's the author of what, but maybe Unsolved Mysteries has gotten kind of wise to people trying to hawk their books. Uh, so they, yeah. so I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if I looked right now, Frank Baranowski definitely has a book out on like recovered memories or something. And, and like mm-hmm. the power of suggestion for weight loss and quitting smoking. But I maintain they can't, um, hypnosis can't be both things. It's either suggestive or it helps you recall something. It's, it can't be both. Uh, so, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this woman author that they, in Solved Mysteries interviews, basically calls bullshit on this guy, Frank, and she's like, I've listened to his interview techniques, he's, he's just s- suggesting things and hasn't, has, um, the patient 
like agree or disagree with it basically and so unsolved mysteries is like you know what here's what we got to do we got to give sharon we got to give frank lie detector tests okay so they go to prove it the lie detector test says they're both telling the truth that sharon hadn't ever like looked up a name for i mean this the other thing that they're everything they're saying about pearl harbor and that day was like widely available information this isn't right. This isn't right. like, and and also the the VA records. Um, after I guess the polygraph occurred, Frank goes to his congressperson to see if they can look up yes. um, the, uh, the constituent services. Yeah, constituent services to see if they can look up uh, the John this John Gillespie if he ever existed, and then also this other ensign um, that that hurt his leg. Well, I guess the incident that hurt his leg ended up losing his leg. He was a real person and he had been in Pearl Harbor. So again, though, really feel like a microfiche search at the library <laughs> probably could have uncovered this information. There's some, uh, memories Sharon memories. I'm putting that in scare quotes. Sharon has about John's father and grandfather, uh, in even the reenactment, they show Frank or whoever's reenacting as Frank, Shows him asking Sharon, what can you tell me about your grandfather? And all of that line of questioning seems really suggestive to arrive at an answer that, like, he already knows. Um, Again, this is like, even in the the 90s, you could go look up obits and stuff like that, marriage records uh, at a library. So there's this whole story about this, this unknown John Gillespie's whole family. Well, conveniently... In the 1970s, most of the Navy's uh, records on veterans from World War II burned in a fire, and then some other shit burned in a fire. So there's like no records of you know folks who mm-hmm. served, which again was probably pretty widespread information if it happened in the 70s for someone who could just wanted some attention to make up whatever they wanted to sell books. Um, (laughs) further complicating though, is Sharon reveals that this John Gillespie person had a Hawaiian girlfriend named Sugar. And then Sharon drew like a composite sketch of Sugar. And Sugar would have been 70 years old at the time that this Unsolved Mysteries aired. And how convenient that she knows her by what I assume is the pet or nickname of Sugar and not like an actual real name. Not like, you know. Ann Jones or something like that, you know? So yeah. Anyways, Robbie, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you had some things to say about the USS Nevada because all I wanted to do is scream bullshit at this entire segment. (laughs) Hypnosis is bullshit. I, well, it's probably really great for quitting smoking or weight loss or like suggestive things to get you to form new habits. But what it isn't is something that helps you, recover memories yeah yeah all right (laughs) well we got that sorted out mystery solved do you want to talk about roger dean let's talk about roger dean shall we let's do it we get what starts out uh, seemingly as a standard robbery sort of situation uh, DJ, short for Doris Jean, who's uh, Roger's wife, uh, she ends up encountering one of these ski-masked intruders. 
Uh, he's He was spotted, I guess, by neighbors in a car that was out of place for the neighborhood. Uh, enough so that people noticed that there was a guy just sitting in it. And then in the reenactment, we got a guy who's like, he steps out. And I guess, like, it makes sense that those, like, those cloth ski masks that you can like put pull down and they'll cover your entire face Mm -hmm. that you can kind of like pull it up and it would just sort of be like a cloth cap covering the top of your head right yeah i mean that's what's going on yeah like he steps out and he's in that mode and then you know when he enters the house he pulls it down all the way uh he he uh, he ties her up, uh, starts screaming, demanding to know how much money's in their savings account. Specifically, their savings account at X, Y, and Z bank at such and such address. Right, right. Uh, and then immediately, he very quickly, as unsolved Mys- unsolved mysteries narrates, he hears some sort of sound and disappears from the room, and that's the end of what. DJ witnessed and we were, were given a scenario where what he's encountering Roger coming in through the door. Uh, and after sort of holding the gun at him in a menacing fashion, shoots him several times. Uh, Roger, while st- having been shot, runs out on the front of the yard of the house and gets shot some, some more times. Mm-hmm. And then the the guy retreats away. Uh, DJ apparently was found by a passerby, or uh, or she speculates because she doesn't really. I guess she was in shock, so she just remembers uh, uh, seeing Roger's body at some point in the aftermath. And then Unsolved Mysteries treats us to some uh, hearing from law enforcement. Uh, local law enforcement who share with us the speculation that this was actually a not a standard robbery but Roger they they suspected Roger was actually setting up some sort of scenario where he was going to quote unquote get kidnapped mm-hmm. and and then uh use the and this is where I'm kind of vague like what was he going to, was the family going to send him the ransom money? Uh, I mean, going to use the, you know, their own money to pay a ransom. No, I think, I, th- and- I think what happened and, and I was very confused by the segment itself. So I'm, I'm pulling this from the unsolved mysteries wiki. Uh, so the police okay. think that Roger hired this person to come over to the house and then abduct him and then take him to the right. bank, withdraw $30,000 from his account, and leave him somewhere somewhere else with the... Th- Roger would have the $30,000. Are you thinking he uh, his plan then is to not return to his family with this money? Yeah. Like like he's he's, he's going to start a new life somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So the, the other piece of this, and I don't know if it was mentioned in the segment or not, was the police learned that that same year prior to his death, that Roger had taken $30,000 from his business and deposited it in a private account without DJ's knowledge, which is, oh, which is I, yeah, I don't re- probably fraudulent. So in order to get away with that $30,000, he had to make it look like he was being kidnapped or murdered or something for the money. 
Interesting. Interesting. Not the most okay. efficient way to launder money. TBH. No, no. This 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 sounds like a very problematic plan. Yeah. Uh, well, especially because he died. So. Yeah, it didn't work out. I, I I'm assuming he was not particularly thorough when screening his accomplice mm-hmm. for this scenario. Because uh, yeah, because yeah, basically, uh, uh, he was trying to get some sort of Fargo-like scheme to happen, mm-hmm. and uh, just just like in that movie, it goes horribly wrong. Uh, he ends up dead, and then we get. Uh, there's there's a second component to this mystery, which is, was it five years later? DJ receives a very menacing letter in the mail that, I guess it like it both sort of rubs it in her face that her husband's dead, mm-hmm. but like the but the letter is also claiming that uh, the person who's writing the letter is owed a hundred thousand dollars. And basically threatening that if they don't get the money, they're going to harm, uh, harm her daughter. And so we get a bunch of, uh, you know, sort of little reenactment snippets. One of her in the house with loads of FBI agents around and the guy calls in. And the FBI agent, you know, tell instructs her to not pick up till the second ring, which I feel like I've seen that happen in movies before. Mm-hmm. Is that was that a thing? Is that like part of the tracking I... device technology? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not expecting you to. <laughs> I'm not expecting you an answer. I mean, I'm just uh, sort of asking. I know that the the rule. Uh at least socially is that when someone calls you, especially if like a boy is calling you, you don't pick up till the second or third ring because you don't want to make it seem like you're just like sitting by the phone. So maybe it's the same thing with like, um, extortionists. You just kind of want to seem slightly unavailable, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. You know, they, they, they don't, you don't want to give them the impression that you're just, uh, you're going to pick up on the drop. Right. You have your own life. Uh, You have things to do. Right. A busy person. I mean, you know, got got other business, you know, business to take care of. So Mm -hmm. let's let's not pretend otherwise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so we get a situation where DJ uh, brings a uh, brick. Of money, mm-hmm. it's like money wrapped up in plastic wrap or mm-hmm. something, right? And they have a reenactment where the person playing her like gets out of a car and then just sort of like just throws it on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not doesn't set it on the ground, just like like discards it like I would like a piece of garbage or something, just like Ugh! and gets back in the car and drives away. Mm-hmm. And so at her, at their house, her daughter gets a phone call where the person is like, Hey, you didn't follow the, you know, the instructions, uh, you know, they're the FBI people they interview are like, yeah, this guy, obviously either he saw something. Cause you know, obviously there's tons of SWAT and FBI people, uh, loitering around, including one behind the seat of, uh, DJ's car. Uh, the front seat of DJ's car. 
but uh, whatever it is, the guy doesn't pick up the money. Uh, and thankfully, uh, he he didn't follow through on his threats, uh, but he's still out there uh, in some capacity. Yeah, and I think when Unsolved Mysteries presented this segment, it was assuming that the person who had killed Roger Dean and the later extortionists were the same person. But obviously, I mean, what the one of the things that immediately came to my mind is just that, like... Whoever, you know, someone was just reading about what happened the first time and it was like, hey, maybe, maybe I can get some cash out of this. So they're not like, they're not a cat copycat. They're a, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're an just opportunist. trying to, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're an opportunist. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, but is there like a term for like, you're, 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 uh, you're, Someone's sort of done the hard work, and then you're kind of swooping in to try to like get the reward. An opportunist. I mean, that, that... Okay. <laughs> I feel like you're. I feel like there probably is some kind of like old, old timey word for the thing you're saying. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're going to be a caboose cutter, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some, that's exactly uh, right. Some, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, Robbie on the wiki, and I didn't notice this during the episode, but I guess this uh, segment aired as an the unexplained. What? As a, as opposed to an unexplained death, which it probably should have been categorized. And did you notice that? I didn't. No, I did not. Oh. Uh the unexplained well that's bs there's no there's nothing supernatural in this right correct i think i think probably it was an error (laughs) (laughs) that would i guess yeah i guess that that would be the the answer to this particular mystery uh robbie should we move on to Mm -hmm. uh talk about beautiful sexy las vegas con artist lady (sighs) let's talk about beautiful sexy las vegas con artist lady you know the thing i just want to mention the thing that really stood out to me at at the very beginning of this segment Mm -hmm. they have an overhead shot of vegas yeah and man Vegas of the late 1980s you, seems so. You love to see it. So quaint, <laughs> so quaint compared to today. You know, you know what's interesting, even though we're not going to talk about it uh, in detail, is that right in in the episode that we watched, at least the Amazon Prime version, there was an update mm-hmm. on a segment we discussed a long time ago about a guy who had murdered someone in Vegas. Oh yes. And when we had talked about that case, we had a very lengthy discussion about visiting uh, Las Vegas as children. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I remember that conversation. Uh, I, I'm sure I mentioned I stayed at the Tropicana. Yes. Yes. That's where my mo- mother would, would always stay. I plan on some, if I ever go back to Vegas again, mm-hmm. I'm going to stay at the Tropicana sort of. You know, is it still uh, there? 
It is. Oh, it's fantastic. Right, it's, right, it's, it's, right a, it's right across the main drag of the strip from the Excalibur, mm-hmm. which is where I stayed at back last uh, November. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a thing going on in Vegas that I went down there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, st- stayed at the Excalibur because it was the cheapest hotel that was like within a reasonable walking distance of where the event was. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my last day in Vegas, I elected to have eat breakfast at the buffet in the Excalibur, mm-hmm. which it wasn't until I got back home l- much later that day and re- read up on Las Vegas uh, buffet reviews that I learned that the Excalibur is one considered one of the worst buffets, <laughs> which I mean, it was definitely like it was definitely like. The in terms of what was put out, mm-hmm. it's ba- it was basically indistinguishable from like the circus circus buffet in Reno. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I, I've it's never like been to that, that one. level. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's like just sort of you know generic like oh here's some sausages mm-hmm. and we'll open up like this jumbo can of canned uh, canned peaches, sort of thing. Okay, and. Yeah, and I actually ended up throwing up oh, no. very shortly after. Yeah, I I went across the the street because I just sort of wanted to walk around in the Tropicana uh-huh. and you know, uh, re, re, sort of relive those memories from the last time my mother and I went down there like two decades ago. And as soon as like I was approaching the Tropicana, I was like, man, my stomach really feels bad. Mm. And so I immediately went to the restroom. And I threw up so much in there. Wow. And as I left the rest restroom, I passed by this, uh, the buffet in the Tropicana, mm-hmm. which was a smaller, uh, smaller looking like thing, but it looked kind of nice. And I, I went on when I was looking up uh, Las Vegas buffets, uh, when I, when I'd gotten back home, the, the this guy, they, there was this one where this guy went in and they, he was showing you all the stuff that was in there. There was like a customized, you know, select your own toppings pizza station and, you know, the same thing for like waffles. And it mm. was like, you know, there wasn't much, but it looked really good. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. You picked- well, I know where, which buffet I'm eating at next time. Well, you know, the. <sighs> Here's well, I mean, buffets are canceled, right? We're like never gonna have a buffet situation ever again <laughs> in our lives. Oh damn, you're you're uh, right. So I, I mean, cherish those memories, even all the bad buffets that you've you've been to. I think what's interesting about the story you just told me is that for someone who doesn't drink or party, you still manage to have a very Vegas experience with puking your guts out in a casino. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I threw up. I, uh, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I, I. It's just. It was. It was as close as you could get. Right? Yeah. Well. Uh, well. Pretty much. Um, well, at least you know. You knew where you woke up. You knew where you were the next morning. I assume. <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is true. Man. Yeah, buffets. Like I. Ugh. We're just never, you know, the last time I was in Vegas, I didn't, I didn't go to a buffet. The thing is like the really high end buffets, I guess you end up staying or like the popular ones that everyone likes. You end up standing in line for like an hour and a half or two hours sometimes. And then it's like 60 or 70 bucks per person. 
It is. And why is. would I ever subject myself to that? Why would I do that? Uh, right, right. Because you're not me. You don't have a desire to go up to like the cheese station and just like gorge yourself on cheese and then well, like, I mean, Robbie, go back again. <laughs> come on. Yes, I do. But... <laughs> 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 but it's more it's more the standing in line to like serve myself that I'm not super into. Like if I'm going to drop 60 or 70 bucks on myself for a meal, it's like I want to be served. You know, I want the ah, experience. I see. I will tell you though, the last time That's... I was in Vegas, the best meal I had while I was there um, was we were staying at the Rio, which is where the Star Trek Las Vegas convention was, <laughs> which is why we were there. Oh, okay. And, um, we were, fe- I don't, I don't know. I didn't Vegas very good last time. Like I didn't really party that hard because I, you know, I have a couple drinks in Vegas and I just start feeling really like maudlin and sad <laughs> because there is something no. deeply <laughs> depressing about being in Vegas. So I, for a Star Trek convention. Yeah. I just, <laughs> just emotionally, it doesn't put me in a good place. So I, I don't like to drink that much while I'm there, okay. but, um, we were feeling very lazy one night and we ordered via Postmates from this Mexican off strip Mexican restaurant. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, we've bought like $30 worth of food or something. And it was like the most food and it was freaking great. We like, we have this churro ice cream situation, incredible and it was like a mountain of tacos and and everything so um yeah it was really it was really good hey should we get back to talking about liza montgomery or (laughs) do we have more to say on buffets liza montgomery well she is she's a beautiful sexy con artist lady (laughs) yeah and (laughs) tell uh, us about the sexy beautiful con artist lady i've got her uh fake id picture up here and she's a she's a really pretty lady and and i don't mean to like shame anyone here but in the reenactment um you know they're kind of selling it as she's like this charmer like this really pretty lady who's like sweet talk you know and i was expecting maybe in the casting that they pick someone that maybe looked a little it's pretty rare that in the reenactment you get someone who is less attractive (laughs) than the actual (laughs) person um Uh. there seems to be a lot in the story revolving around her wearing a fur coat like as if someone in a fur coat handing you a check is inherently more trustworthy than someone who isn't wearing a fur coat handing you a check i mean i'm assuming that was her rationale right was she was she wearing a fur coat when she bought the first fur coat? I feel like uh, yes, but without rewatching the segment, I don't know. Okay. So, uh, so this is how it all starts. It's it's the week before Christmas, and uh, local businessman Mark Hughesby uh, puts a, had an ad in the local paper selling, and it's just pre Craigslist. So everybody just calm down. Puts an ad in the <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> Um, saying he's got, he's ex- selling this expensive mink coat and two carat diamond ring. And honestly, I think Mark probably has, this is feeling really like a divorce situation. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even think of that, but, uh, I have a feeling you might be correct. This feels like cleaning no one out else in the- from the divorce. 
Uh, yeah. So I guess, well, I guess Mark got the mink and the di- diamond ring. Two carat diamond ring. That's a big ring. Okay. So Mark, he had run the ad. He had talked to Liza, Lisa. I don't know how to say that. Montgomery on the phone. Li- um, Liza, right? Liza, okay. I think. Yeah. And, uh, and and Mark says, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go get your stuff, but you know, I need you to pay me in cash. And she comes over instead with a cashier's check. Uh, and there's some story in the reenactment about she couldn't get the cash, but somehow getting a cashier's check was easier than them getting the cash, which I don't know if you've ever gotten a cashier's check. It is definitely not easier than the teller just handing yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what made me immediately uh, uh, alarmed was she was like, well, you know, I his, the, the bank was almost closed, but you get a cashier's check at a bank, right? Yeah. You, you, because, because, like, basically, you're giving the bank money, and they create this check for you mm-hmm. that you know you can then use to to pay, and I and and that's that's where I was like, I was really interested. They didn't really discuss. I was really interested where they're going to go. With, are are these like just completely fabricated cashiers' checks? Because like, if you have a real cashiers' check, it's not like a check from someone's checking account right. and you know maybe there's no money in it like this is a check that a bank the bank has has gotten money for it so it is like basically as good as cash right yes i mean in in theory yeah, yeah that's how that works but yeah but yeah the, what had me alarmed was like oh okay the well the bank didn't have enough time for you to just go up and like withdraw your money but they did have enough time to to write up a cashier's check. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh that doesn't make any sense. But also, yeah, Unsolved Mysteries doesn't explain what the deal is with the cashier's check. So I'm assuming she was just forging her own, making it look like they came from yeah. the bank. Uh so okay, yeah. so Mark is like not having this. He's like, Can I see your ID? And then uh, he looks at her ID and he, you know, writes down the uh the address and all that. So um I guess he's convinced and he takes the cashier's check and lets uh, Liza take the items. Uh, later that evening, Liza arrives at a jewelry store. She purchases two rings that she'd come by and seen the week before. Again, she's she's using the cashier's check. I guess the purchase was around $40,000. Uh, next day, she goes on a shopping spree at a local uh, furniture store. Again, she uses a cashier's check. So she had shown up with her own, like, rickety used u-haul like her own her own moving van or something (laughs) Uh, and uh so (laughs) there's a reenactment though where she's like buying all this furniture and like the the furniture store guy's like you know we can use my truck too if you just give me the address like i'm happy to come to your home and help you unload this and she had this whole story about surprising her husband or something so yeah she she had this thing about wanting to surprise her husband but like, I guess the thing that alarmed him was like when he when he asked like you know uh, I can bring my truck too, and she got like she suddenly became very belligerent. Yes, and she was just like, just get it all in. Yeah, there. she said she I said mean, make it fit, which made me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the sort of thing you would say if I mean you know you. This this is seemingly less of a oh this is my my cherished gift for my husband that I you know care about a lot no this is just me wanting to like cram all the mm-hmm. stuff that I'm gonna like later hawk right uh, later on right so uh, yeah. you know 
she's spending through this whole weekend. Now, I think what's really, really important is that she did it. She started this on Friday and she went through the weekend. Because because right, right. <laughs> once you start, if you that Monday when people went to cash their checks at the bank, realizing that they were fraudulent, she was going to be screwed. So she had to do all of it in a weekend, which makes sense to me. This is basically uh, it's like gone in sixty seconds, mm-hmm. but with just you know a variety of different merchandise instead of cars. That's right. Yes. Uh, yeah. So she spent ends up spending like a hundred thousand dollars on jewelry and furs and whatever else. Uh, so meanwhile, though, Mark Hughesby is like, ah, I just isn't sitting right with me. So after selling the coat and the ring, um, Mark's like, this chick, is this any good? So he had the address of this that was on her ID. And so he drove to it and apparently it was in a gated community. And then um, he got to the security gate and the security guard told him the address didn't exist. That woman didn't live there. So Mark went home and he, and he called the police. Uh, the police detective, who they also interviewed for the segment, was like, well, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't do anything with someone get, wrote me a check and gave me the wrong address. It's not a crime. So we can't bust somebody on that. Yeah, t- until the, the bank says this is a bad check right. or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, when he went, went to investigate the address and he was talking with the security guard, did you catch the name of the street she supposedly lived on? Because I replayed this several times trying to figure out what the heck he was saying. It was some like mutilated Spanish name. You know how everything is named in Vegas and Southern California. Because I thought I heard Wedgie Miller. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I tried putting the closed captioning on my YouTube uh-huh. uh, uh, uh because they, they have all the episodes up there uh, currently. And when it gets to the part where he says the name, there the, all, all it is is in uh, parentheses, inaudible, oh. is what they put. Well, they probably <laughs> intentionally kind of like mixed it down so you couldn't hear it. So people people yeah. don't get like crazy and try to go find houses. Right. <laughs> don't right. try to be detectives. Okay. Um so, <laughs> so, uh, so Mark's not getting justice immediately here. Um, but meanwhile, the furniture store, okay. Uh, uh-huh. the store owner unnamed, but interviewed, I believe in the segment, uh, you know, it's like, what's going on with this lady? So they get all the stuff in the van and, uh, the furniture store owner's like, you know what? I'm going to follow her. <laughs> Yeah, and this and this clever bastard left a two way radio with his wife back at the store and said, "You know what? Let's keep in touch. I'm going to follow her and see where she goes. I'll radio you back and call the police and if the, I need anything." And the wife calls the police, and like the you know mm-hmm. the 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 detect the detectives like, well, we figure with multiple of these checks mm. now being reported to us, we should at least like get an idea of who, who this woman is exactly and where she lives. Mm-hmm. And they have a reenact part of the reenactment is, is the detective and his partner rushing out of the, uh, uh, the, their, their station and the detective saying like, I figured it'll uh, take 10 minutes to get there. Right. And his part older partner's like six, if we hurry, <laughs> And then one of them ran out to the car and slid across the hood and then got on the passenger side. 
Oh, I, 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 that's how I prefer to believe what happened. Uh, um, what? That but, one detective. But no, I, oh, yes, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, though, this, uh, this whole like reenactment involving following her and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I legitimately was excited watching this. This was like more, yeah. in, this was more oh, interesting yeah. to me. Than like any car chase in any movie that's been released in the last ten years. <laughs> uh, it it was pretty exciting for unsolved mysteries. I'll say that. So the furniture store <laughs> owner of you know chasing the van, and then he notices that she pulls over from driving the van and switches out with some man who starts driving the van, and she's she's in a convert like goes into a convertible. And then he starts following the convertible and she notices that she's being followed. So she stops and she confronts him and it's like, what the hell are you doing? And then she starts chasing him down the street and then he turns off mm-hmm. and she eventually keeps going. And, you know, the detectives are just just a few minutes behind, but but they're not able to um, to catch up with Liza at this time. Yeah. So so what happens here? Um, she gets away, I guess, with it. And everyone is left with yeah. their worthless checks until we get an update. Do, 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 do. Uh, so guess what? Um, a viewer, of course, <laughs> saw this. And it was with the help. Oh, it was an Oregon police officer, actually, that saw the broadcast. and was investigating a similar case. And then, um, so I, I, what it's implied from that is she was hitting up Oregon, too. Uh, if if yeah. he's investigating a similar case. Um, and so that officer identified her as Ellen, Ellen Christine uh, Huvera Saiz. And she was uh, located in Hollywood, California and arrested. Uh, pled guilty to burglary and theft, served time in Nevada State Penitentiary. After release, she was later arrested and sentenced to prison in Colorado. She was released in October 2016. So she was in prison for... Oh, about 24 years, as far as I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Yeah. I guess you don't write bad checks in Nevada. Um, Her mugshot, though, she's like a total fox. Like, she's a babe. So I can see how she, like, smooth smooth talks some fellas into taking her worthless checks. I can testify that uh, the male gender is susceptible to... Uh, to that. Yeah. One one thing I want to like, I I wonder about because they showed her, you know, three three of her victims: the guy selling the mink coat and the ring, the jewelry store, and the furniture store. Mm-hmm. But I think I I kind of got the idea that there were other like victims. You know, she, she was just like going from place to place uh, throughout the whole weekend, right? Yeah, she was. They just focused uh, on the furniture store and the guy Mark with the fur coat. I really like watching this segment as they are starting to to discuss her 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 spree. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping that they're going to talk with like the owners of like a pawn shop or something and talk about how she came in and bought a huge stock of baseball cards and sports paraphernalia and that it was like (laughs) all the stuff, (laughs) all the stuff that both Dennis Walker and Stephen Cox 
uh, unloaded when they went wow. down from uh, wow. Med- both both fled from Medford, Oregon. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> that would have that would have been amazing. And who's to say she didn't yeah. go into those pawn shops? I mean, we we all, we always hope for that sort of like continuity in the unsolved mysteries universe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, like, my mind is totally always fixated on that. I'm always, <coughs> always on the alert for some sort of tie-in to, to those two stories. <laughs> Are those your favorite? Uh, they, rank, they rank up pretty high there. I think it's the fact that, like, we had two Medford fraud stories involving, like, people with investing, quote-unquote, businesses that were, uh, uh, you know, uh, promising 25% rates of return and that, you know, one, one to a little a bit of a lesser degree that, but both of them fleeing town with like baseball cards as part of their wealth stash <laughs> was just, <laughs> it happened twice. Crystal. I, feel- <laughs> I keep like, my biggest dream is if, like, there was a third Medford Hustle segment. It might it might come. It might come. What I feel like, yeah. though, as we get into the mid and late 90s, we might get, like, some Beanie Baby Hustle hustling going on. Yeah, you're, you're right. Because once they start getting up to that point, like, because baseball cards, by that point, people are starting to realize that they're kind of worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, baby, yeah, Beanie Babies are, are going to be more of the... Yeah. Uh, they're 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 the next bubble that yeah happens. well beating about babies had an inherent high value you see <laughs> Cause, right because if you get the 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 elite ones yeah. right the gold star whatever uh i was yeah well was do you watching do you think um the baseball card collecting kind of i mean there's still folks that do it they love sports memorabilia that's still a huge market but um, yeah. do you feel like maybe Magic the Gathering cards became the higher dollar thing to collect <laughs> at some point? I think so. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there, that's probably your chances of like getting money for your old Magic cards are, are, pro- are almost surely better than mm. for your old baseball cards. You know, I, I, um, I had a. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this because I don't want to get robbed, but we have an entire box in our living room, a large box, a crate even, of Magic the Gathering cards. They're not mine. Really? Yes. I don't know what's I in there. Didn't but... think, I didn't think they were, <laughs> but that's uh, it's interesting to hear. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, really taking up some space. Uh, anyway, should we talk about? Uh, yeah, let's. Let, we got one more segment gotta, here. Let's talk about. Okay, let's plow through this one. So, Florida. Enough said. Uh, enough said. Enough said. <laughs> no, this is. Uh, so this this gal, what's her name? I'm sorry, Deborah Poe. She she had moved to um, Orlando just four months before this occurred, and she was living with her friend and roommate Lori. And uh, you know, Deborah had big dreams, baby. But right now she was working the graveyard shift at a convenience store. 
Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lori just testified to how hard Deborah worked and you know, she wanted to buy a house and start her own business. I feel like in the early nineties, maybe the wages that you could make at a convenience store may have made that possible, but I don't know where we were at with inflation and cost of living in Florida at that time in the nineties. So, uh, she, she was yeah. dreaming big dreams. Good for her. Um, unfortunately at some point and she had another, she had a friend who came by and visited her on shift um, before 3 a.m. And I guess this guy uh-huh. came back later uh, to find uh, Deborah gone. I guess she was the only one working at the convenience store. She didn't have another coworker. Like the store was open. Her uniform was neatly folded behind the counter. Uh, I guess this is also a time pre. Um, surveillance video month yeah uh the cash register was locked there's no evidence of a robbery no signs of a struggle uh her car was parked in the usual spot in the parking lot nothing appeared to be disturbed and so it seemed pretty clear that she'd been abducted from the store um so so this i got really confused by this segment but they but because unsolved mysteries did a bad job but apparently this fit the mo of some other women that had disappeared in the same area who were also clerks at convenience stores? Yes, they, they didn't really, they didn't really set it up very well. But apparently, there, there there's a possibility that the there's a situation where there was someone who was like serial kidnapping these clerks. Yeah. Um. So they found a one woman, Darlene Messer, who had been abducted from Lake City, was later found murdered. Um. Uh. Another clerk, Donna Callahan, had had disappeared in Gulf Breeze. So this, I guess, that had happened um, about six months prior to when um, Deborah disappeared. Uh-huh. Uh, interestingly, though, there was someone who came in to shop at the store in the middle of the night that didn't find Deborah behind the counter, but instead told police that there was a very tall man who was <laughs> wearing a Megadeth T-shirt and had long hair, and and then some really really like ominous music plays when Unsolved Mysteries focuses on this part. And he had a ring with a skull on it. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, oh, are we gonna are we doing this right that now? Was, are we doing Satanic Panic right now? Okay, but we didn't. It was just yeah, man. Uh, right, yeah. What what had me distracted was like. Because in the earlier parts of the reenactment, when they show Deborah behind the counter, uh, she seems to be on basically the same eye level as the customers, right? Mm-hmm. But like this person, this witness, they shoot it in such a way <laughs> that like, I was like, is the guy behind the counter seven and a half feet Correct. tall? Yes, he was a or giant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they shot it very Whoa. strangely. It made him look like twice as tall as Deborah had been. I mean, it does a good job of making him seem more menacing mm-hmm. if that's what they are going for. Um. So, uh, anyway, we don't get a resolution. There's no update other than they think they found this these brothers that uh, that had killed this woman, Donna. They think they ki- that they also killed Deborah and this other woman, Darlene. I don't know. It was very confusing in the segment. So there isn't really a resolution. They just think that 
they're like they likely did it because they had been responsible for mm-hmm. the other one, the other murder. Um, from the wiki though, not addressed in the segment, uh, some suggested uh, that the man in the t-shirt um, uh, was either Deborah's boyfriend or a boyfriend of one of Deborah's coworkers who had just like come by. Despite what the skull ring suggested. I, I like the idea floated that, you know, this guy was like, hey, there's no one around here. I'm going to take the opportunity to do some shoplifting. Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, like the person comes in and he's like, oh, shit. And he like tries to act like he's working there yeah. <laughs> to cover up. the. <laughs> and in the reenactment, the woman who comes in to buy something is buying cigarettes. And the man's like, you shouldn't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, while judgmental, at the same time, I do feel kind of uh, uh, is a good way to sort of, like, throw someone off from suspecting that you don't work there. Because mm-hmm. instead, like, if it's one of those smokers who gets really um, indignant about when you mention stuff like that, they're, you know, they switch from being like, does this guy really work here to like, how dare this guy judge me for my mm-hmm. smoking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know who that guy is, but he probably didn't kill anyone. No. So, yeah. So that was that. Uh, Robbie. Yeah. Cause he, cause he, cause, cause at the update, he d- he's not the one that appears. Nope. He was not, we don't even know who that man is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Robbie, we gotta wrap this thing up. Uh, yeah, they they found some guys, and they were the killers. We I don't know. They killed they killed one. Someone? They killed one person. So maybe they killed her. Who knows? Who can say? Yeah, I. Yeah, that that that's where the poor setup from unsolved mysteries really hurts us. Um. Anyway, so if you like reenacted. We have a Twitter uh-huh. at reenacted pod. Yep. Uh, you can send us an email at reenactedpod at gmail.com. Oh, wait, before you uh, wait, hold on a second. We need shitty small town stories. And I want to remind people what that means because we haven't gotten any. And I'm thinking maybe your people are just freaking confused as to what we're asking for. I want, I want to hear okay. about nonviolent idiotic incidents that could only occur in a small town. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so write those up in uh, in an essay of ten thousand words or more, ah! and send it. To Don't do that. At reenacted pod <laughs> at reenacted pod at gmail um, or search us out on Facebook. And uh, if you're so inclined, send us some money via Patreon. Um. Yeah, I've been putting well occasionally. Uh, early release episodes up. Um, I owe you guys like some special content. I'm sorry. I've just really failed on every level, but coronavirus is what I'm going to blame it on. So I guess I'll just have to mail some more stuff out to them. then. Probably. That's not how you're spending more money than we're taking it. <laughs> hey, I'm just glad that like I can subsist off something other than Nora's rice sides and peanut butter sandwiches now. Uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud of you, truly. 
Thank you. Uh, do you want to do the thing? Join us next week for an all-new edition of Unsolved Mysteries.